Well, one of the uh, things that we notice about wars is that they are devastating, right? Uh, they leave a lot of destruction in, the pa- in its wake, and uh, it affects a lot of people. And so uh, when we look at the history of wars, we would almost think that every war, because of how devastating it is, would start with a good reason, right? I mean, how many of you would want to go to war for something that doesn't make sense? All right, that's not how wars happen, though. Sometimes there are wars that are, not, are started for some crazy reason or another. And so I want to talk about two of them as we start this morning. Uh, the first was a war that took place in 1325. Uh, it was between two Italian cities. Uh, the Italian cities for a long time were, were independent of each other. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of things that go behind the scenes of this. Uh, but the two cities were Bologna and Modena. All right. And I'm going to butcher these names, okay? I'm just going to let you guys know that, okay? So uh, it was a part of a larger struggle, but uh, basically it started when the Modenese soldiers went into Bologna and uh, stole a civic bucket, all right? It was this bucket, it was an oaken bucket, it was old, it was sitting in the middle of the town, and they took it. And they brought it back to their city. Uh, Bologna was, was extremely angry at them. And they demanded that Modena return that bucket. And Modena said, no, we're not going to. So uh, they went to war. Uh, it's called the War of the Oaken Buckets. Uh, the uh, Bolognese uh, soldiers uh, gathered a, an army of 32,000. They started to march on Modena. Modena gathered an army of 7,000, okay, very insignificant number. And they met them at a town called Zeppolino. Uh, and the lesser army defeated the larger army. Uh, the Bolognese uh, soldiers were routed, and they fled behind the walls of Zeppolino. Uh, and so Modenese, in order to uh, insult them even further, stole another bucket uh, from the well that was outside of the city of Zeppolino. And you can find those buckets still at the Cathedral of Modena today in Italy. How awesome of a war was that? I started over a bucket being stolen. Uh, Another war that took place was between uh, England and Spain in the year 1739 to 1748. Uh, Again, a lot more behind the scenes to these things, but this is essentially how this war started. Uh, The British had uh, acquired a a treaty with Spain to allow their ships to uh, bring cargo into the Spanish Americas. Uh, One of the ships was called the Rebecca, and uh, a, a lieutenant by the name of Fendino Uh, He boarded the Rebecca, claimed that the captain of the Rebecca was a smuggler, and decided to cut off his ear. Uh, Later on, the British would, of course, admit that he was a smuggler, but at the time, they were unwilling to admit that. Uh, Fandino, when he cut off this guy's ear, said, If your king wishes to smuggle into our country again, I will cut off his ear as well. All right, so it was a very uh, brash thing to say. And so seven years after that event, uh, the man, the captain, his name was Robert Jenkins, uh, he came before Parliament and he attested to what had happened. And, and it, they say that he even produced the ear as evidence of what Fandino had done. Uh, and so this, uh, along with some other atrocities, uh, caused the British to be angry and and their pride hurt and so they went to war and the war was called the war of Jenkins ear all right and 
uh, that started because of this event. Uh, the British were uh, lost badly in this war. All right, uh, but this is how it started. And so we would often think, you know, uh, with everything that goes into war, with all the devastation, that there are good reasons to go to war. But we also see a lot of bad reasons to go to war. And sometimes I wonder if we are not better. I mean, as, as Christians, within, uh, in fighting within the church, you would think that, you know, we are followers of God, that there's good reasons why we have arguments and why we disagree with one another. But sometimes I wonder if we're not better than other people in the past. Uh, today we want to uh, look at uh, James chapter 4. We want to look at this idea uh, of the marks of maturity within a Christian. And we want to see uh, what James is saying uh, here in chapter 4 is a mark of what it means to be a mature Christian. And so we're going to uh, read the first verse to kind of open up uh, what, what he's talking about. This is what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I want to stop there because James essentially, as he's been writing this book, has been making a statement and then gives a bunch of examples as to what's going on. And this is the statement that's going to start off this section. What is causing fights among you? The uh, language that James uses uh, is, is a language of war. Uh, in the English, we kind of use uh, one word to encompass a wide variety of meaning. We say fight, but fight can be an argument. Fight can be a battle, if you will. Uh, in the Greek, they had different words for intensities of how much this fighting was. And the words that are used here for fighting and quarreling, they are the language of war. Right? It's a language of conflict. It's a language of battles being fought. And James is saying, you guys within your church are waging war with one another. And his question is, is why are you waging war? Now, when we look at that question in detail, we can probably assume that they're not actually waging war, right? They're not uh, coming to church with their swords and with, with their uh, knives ready to kill each other. That's not what's happening. But he's using this figurative language of these wars that are devastating and these fighting that's happening between them is devastating the church. And he says, why are they there? No, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to fight, wage wars with each other. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 13 says these words. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so James Knowing what Jesus has said and, and looking at the church, he's saying, you guys, you're not loving. You're fighting. And it's, and it's crazy. If, if, if Jesus says the way that everyone, the world is going to know for his followers is by the way we love each other, if we're fighting with each other, what does that mean of our, our witness? No, we're called to go into the world and to tell them about the transformation that Jesus brings. And when we fight with each other and we go to them and say, come, let Jesus change you. Do you know what their response is to that? They laugh. 
And they say, if Jesus changes people, why has he not changed you? When we allow infighting within the church, it hurts the message of the church. And this, I think, is what James is trying to get at. Why are you fighting? When we look at our world today, we can see that we are a society about bickering. You know, I, I see it all the time I, I, in Facebook. You know, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm just off it because it's a crazy. You know, someone puts out their political opinion and, and there's a bunch of people that dissent from that, right? Then you get to like the police issues and there's one, one no matter what side you fall on it, someone's going to argue with you. You could even put a post about fluffy bunnies. Who doesn't like fluffy bunnies? And you can say they're the most awesome creatures in the world, and there's going to be someone who doesn't like fluffy bunnies, and they're going to argue with you. I mean, this is the craziness that our world is in right now, where we love to fight and to argue and to disagree. And James says in the church, this shouldn't be. Why do you wage war with one another? A lot of times in the church, when we're fighting with one another, we don't even know why we are fighting. We don't even understand everything that's going behind the scenes. And when we fight, we drive non-Christians away. This is not how it should be. James, he's going to tell us why he thinks that we have these fights. Remember, he opens up uh, with the question, why is there fighting? And here is his answer. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. All right, so he starts off by answering this question, we fight because of our desires and our passions. The word here is that, that James uses is, is only used like five times in the New Testament, and it, it has this idea of, of pleasing the senses. Right? We, we have des a desire to, to have our feelings met, to have our tastes met, to have our emotions met. It's the senses that we have, and we're trying to please them. All right, we, want, we have this desire, and when we have this desire to make it all about ourselves, that is why we fight. And we see this, don't we? I mean, we oftentimes joke about churches that split over what? Anything, right? The color of the carpet, what is that? That's about the pleasing of your eyes. I like this color, you like that. And so we split a church over it. And we joke about this. Uh, we may never have actually seen a church do this, but we joke about it because somewhere, some church did this. And they fought. Why? They waged war. They had battered. They, they divided the church. Why? Because of their desires. James says, we desire, you don't have, so you kill and you fight. We allow beyond even the things of this church. We, we allow uh, our, the blessings that other people have to become sticking points. We covet, just like the 
Old Testament told us not to, right? Ten Commandments, do not covet, and yet that is what we do. And when we covet, we seek things for our own pleasures and our own desires, and we destroy. Why do we destroy? Why are these things a part of the church? Now, this attitude it causes even more problems than just the fighting. Uh, James says that the second part of verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And what he says is, is you, when you desire and you, you allow your passions and, and your pleasures to be first, it causes a problem with your relationship with God. You are unable to ask Him. You don't have because you don't ask. I mean, how many of you, when you are doing things for yourself, and you're all about you, go to God. You know, most times when we know that we are not doing it in the right manner, we, God's the last person we want to talk to, right? I mean, He's the last one we want to say, God, can you please help me here? I'm doing things for me. I mean, that's not how that relationship works. James in verse 3 will say, those who do ask, when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask uh, with the wrong motive that you may spend it on what you get. For your pleasures. And so what he says is, yes, sometimes this relationship, this desire to please yourself, to have your passions, to have everything that you need fulfilled, it causes you to lose relationship with God. You cannot ask him. You don't ask him. But for those that do ask, you don't get because you're all about you. I mean, I've done this, right? Where I wanted something so that I could be raised up. So that my pleasures would be fulfilled. But God isn't a God that's here to make us happy. Our God is here to glorify himself. And he glorifies himself through us. And so when we pray, if we're not praying for something that's glorifying him, it's not going to happen. And this is all a result coming back to these desires that are waging war inside us. And when we allow them to come front, it becomes a problem. And we need to be reminded that it's not about us, but it's about the glory of God. James wants to remind his readers of one other thing in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And here uh, we just see this drip with Old Testament references. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that James is a Jew and he's writing to Jewish Christians and you have to understand some Old Testament terminology to understand what he's going to say throughout the rest of this passage. In the Old Testament, the uh, relationship between God and his people, the Israelites, was, uh, was said to be like a relationship between a husband and his wife. God being the husband, the Israelites being his spouse. And every time the Israelites turned away from God, the prophets came to them and said, you are breaking your first covenant relationship. You are breaking your, your marriage vows to God. And because of that, you are adulterous people. And James uses the same terminology as he's talking about the Christians. And he's saying, your first relationship with God is to glorify Him. 
And when you choose not to glorify him, but to glorify yourselves and seek after your own desires, you are no better than the Old Testament people of God that turn to idols. In fact, James says that when you do this, when you seek your own pleasures above the glory of God in your life, then you will become like the world. You become friends of the world. And when we look at the world and see how they act and how they're all about fighting, and we look at the church within us and we look at ourselves and we examine ourselves for a moment and we see that we are just like them, fighting even within the church, then we choose to be on the side of the world. And if you choose to be on the side of the world, then that means you're not on God's side. You are an adulterous person. Is that you? Well, this is a question we each need to ask ourselves. Am I a friend of God or a friend of the world? By the way we act, by the desires we pursue, who am I with? Well, James, he's been building this case. He's been saying, if you are all about you and your desires, then you are not on God's side. But he's going to give us a solution in this as well. Uh, The solution begins in verse 7 when he says this, Submit yourselves then to God. And he's going to give a number of things to do. And the first one is this submission to God. This word is only in the New Testament. It's a word that's not used anywhere else in antiquity. It's a word that's specifically religious, and it's more than obedience. It's not to be confused with that. It is reverent submission to God. It's placing ourselves under His rulership. It's, It's putting ourselves and being dependent upon Him for help and strength. It's when we say, God, we will follow your rule in our lives. It's when we say, wherever you guide us, whatever your directives are, that is where we'll go. It's where we honor him and honor the promises that we made. When we said, we submit to you, God, and you are Lord of our lives. And when we became Christians, it is honoring that pact like we honor our marriage vows. It's giving God homage through obedience And within this context, it's recognizing that life in this world is not about our desires or our pleasures or making ourselves happy. Life in this world is about obedience to God and glorifying Him. And that is what it means to submit, to glorify God above glorifying ourselves. The next thing that James says we are to do is that we are to resist the devil and he will flee from you. After we've submitted to God, got on our knees and said, God, I am under your rule. Then we must take an active role in resisting evil in our lives. We cannot be passive in this. We cannot say, well, I've done enough by submitting to God. No, you must be active now. Resist the devil. What does this mean? It depends on what you're struggling with. Where are you sinning? If it's in pornography, 
Maybe you get rid of that computer or that smartphone or that magazine subscription you subscribe to. If it's, if it's in lying, then do everything that you can not to place yourself in a spot where you are going to be tempted to lie. If it's in cheating on your spouse, then get rid of that person that you're tempted with, that person you're flirting with. Defriend them from Facebook. Avoid them when they come near. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, you take an active role in changing how you live so that you are not even near the temptation. And it's more than just what's on the outside. You have to change what's on the inside as well. A lot of these sins are just bubbling over from what's inside of you. And you must take every thought captive for Christ, as Paul says. You must work on your heart. And when you resist the devil, he's a scaredy cat of godly things. And when you resist the devil, he flees from you. Submit to God, resist the devil. And verse 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you again. Dripping with Old Testament references of the priests who drew near to God and God drew near to them. And as part of how they did that is found in the rest of this. When he says, wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And we have this idea of what the priests did to enter into the temple where they had ritual uh, washings in order to cleanse their hands of the evil that they had done. And they purified their hearts of their thoughts that they were evil as well. And then they could enter the temple. And James is saying, this is how we need to be. We need to wash ourselves of the iniquity that we have. We need to purify our thoughts and our hearts and draw near to God. And as He draws near to you, we'll understand the depravity that we're in, the sins that we have. And He says this, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And when we recognize our sins and the devastations that they brought, we should lament over what we have done. When we see our sins for what they are, we should wail at the people we are. God, I'm sorry. Don't you understand what your sin does? Don't you understand when there's fighting in the church, when you're about yourselves, the devastation you bring, not just to yourselves and the people around you, but the kingdom at large, when you recognize that, do you well? Do you mourn? James says, if we want to be different, we need to lament for the sins that we've done. Not just a, I'm sorry, it's a mourning, a weeping. And he says this in verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And in this verse, we, we have this promise. And it's a promise of grace. See, when when we're all about ourselves, when we're all about our pleasures, all we are trying to do is lift ourselves up. But the more we try to lift ourselves up, the more we destroy things. 
And what James says is as you're lifting yourselves, you're going to be destroyed and you need to come to a place where you submit to God and you humble yourselves and you wash yourselves and purify yourselves from all these iniquities and sins that you have. And when you humble yourselves up, then God will lift you up. The things that we try to do by ourselves are impossible, but with God, it happens. Humble yourselves. This message is a message of grace. And it needs to be something that we recognize within ourselves. The sign of what a mature Christian is, is how you approach life. Do you approach life like the world approaches it? Where it's about me and what I want and what pleases my senses? Or do you humbly submit yourself to God and glorify Him in your life? Mature Christian glorifies God. Are you glorifying Him? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly come before You. We, we look at our sins in our lives and we recognize the destruction that's in them. And when we see that destruction, Lord, I just pray that we will fall to our knees. And that we will wail and weep and mourn what we've done. Lord, you are a, a loving God and you sent a loving Savior to change who we are. To change this world. And, and Father, we, we just pray right now that we will not be people who are fighting and causing destruction for your kingdom's cause. But Lord, that we will glorify you in all things. I pray that we'll be reminded when we're tempted to make stuff about us. I pray that when we're tempted to do that, that you will just remind us of what James says here. That it's not about us, but it's about you. I pray that we can glorify you in all aspects of our lives. It's your name we pray. Amen.